0: Good to see everybody here today. So before we get our lesson going this morning, uh, I just want to tell you that Potter's Children Home came and picked up, and you know, it's all missing here. They came and picked up all this stuff, and I believe the first comment he made when he walked into the auditorium was, wow. So he was impressed by the amount of stuff that we had up here. It took uh, him and Brittany and I several trips and probably about a half an hour to 45 minutes to get everything out to his truck and get it packed away. Uh, He was very thankful uh, for what we provided, uh, very impressed about what he provided, and he was glad that he brought a little bit bigger truck uh, to get everything on it, because if he had brought the smaller truck, he probably wouldn't be able to get everything on it. Uh, So just thank you for all that you did for providing for Potter's Children's Home, and we'll do it again next year, and Lord willing, we can do even better next year. Uh, But that's a good work to be doing. involved with and they really appreciate everything we do for them. The idea we're going to be talking about this morning is an idea straight out of the 1960s, out of science fiction, out of a science fiction series playbook. It's a smart computer that can answer every question that you ask it and it can get you out of nearly every alien-induced pickle that you find yourself in, whether it's on the bridge of the starship Enterprise Or it's from the robot from Lost in Space. Artificial intelligence was a dream. They looked to the day where we could talk to computers and they could make one's life a little easier by simply answering our questions in, um, well, maybe a little less machiney way. But there were warning signs, of course. You know, if you're a science fiction fan, you've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. The HAL 9000 had an emotional breakdown and decided that it was his job to kill everybody on board the spaceship. He goes nuts. Now, fast forward a few decades and where do you find us? We've now invited these dreamy, futuristic Technology devices into our home in the form of assistants like Alexa. Who uses Alexa? Who uses Google? Okay, who uses Siri? Okay, and there's a few more out there besides that. You know, a lot of us are using these assistants here. It's kind of like Captain Kirk on the bridge of the enterprise. All you got to do is ask the assistant a question, and what do they do? They answer the question. They answer the question. And they do so in a voice that sounds oddly human. And you can pick female voices. You can pick male voices. You can pick, pick uh, American voices, English voices, Australian voices. Uh, you can pick whatever tone you want them to answer you in. And it's kind of weird because you could be open the refrigerator to get yourself a soda. And you look in there... And then you tilt your head slightly, like you go to talk to your spouse in the other room, and you say, Alexa, add milk and eggs to my shopping list. And what does she do? She adds milk and eggs to your shopping list that you can pull up on your phone or your tablet when you go to the store, and there it is. It's a reminder. And then when you're done with that, you can say, Alexa, play Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. And you can hear that song. You want to know what the weather forecast is for the day? You go, Alexa, tell me what the weather's going to be for today. Or what tomorrow or for the rest of the week. And she's going to tell you what it is. These devices have become a a universal part of everyday life. They're embedded into our phones. They're embedded into these little round things that you put in your house. Now they're embedded into TV sets. And you can even get things for your car that'll do the same thing. They're everywhere. They enable you to control, to ask questions, but they also enable you to control your home. Alexa, turn on the living room lights. You know, that, we can actually do that in our house now. My son gave us some little smart plugs. So now I can say, Alexa, turn on the living room lights, or Alexa, turn on the family room lights. Alexa, tr- shut off the TV. You can also control your door locks. You can control your air conditioning. All these different things you can do with your connected house. Now, the question is, for those of us who are living in the future, how smart are these things going to get? You know, you can ask it to order facial tissue for you online, but they may get to the point where they figure out why you need that facial tissue. Your assistant's soon going to become as much a teacher and a therapist and a confidant as it is a weather gauge or a DJ. Now, if we're getting used to act, interacting with this artificial intelligence, perhaps it's because we're already comfortable with interacting with an intelligence that isn't human, divine intelligence. You know, geeks and gearheads can tell you how Alexa works or how Google works, and they can, they can tear it apart for you and tell you exactly how and why these things work and how they can figure out the answers in such rapid succession. But what makes it possible for humans to interact with God? We're told that it happens because of faith, that it's only possible through faith that we can interact with God, and we're comfortable with that. So what do we do? We pray, we read, we study. We believe that God is all-powerful, that He's all-knowing, that He's present everywhere, We believe it, and we experience it. But we're not talking about a relationship with an inanimate object here. We're talking about a real relationship between God and humans. And this relationship is most often expressed in prayer. You know, only God can know the depths of what's going on in our inner selves. Only Alexa can't know what's going on in here. God can. The Psalms could have never been written by a computer because Psalms speak very powerfully of a relationship between God and humanity. We might ask Alexa for a weather report and if she gives it to it, we think Alexa we think Alexa's pretty smart. Especially if she's right. But God doesn't give us a report about the weather. God makes the weather. And that's an accomplishment that makes Alexa look like a bot playing tic-tac-toe. Psalm 40 is a beautiful illustration about this very thing that we're talking about. It's essentially a prayer that has three themes to it. Up through verse 6, We see a praise to God for previously answered prayers. When you go verses 7 through 12, it's a reflection on sacrifice and obedience. 13 through the end of the psalm, we have a plea for rescue from a brand new threat. You know, you kind of think of yourself in a quiet place, and you say, hey, Alexa, let's chat. Or you might say, Alexa, Read me Psalm 40. And this is basically what the psalmist is doing with God. He's saying, God, let's chat. And Psalm 40 is a prayer that reflects that real relationship, one in which God is not merely some cosmic intelligence that's simply spitting out information and spitting out advice to serve our every need. But rather, God is one who hears us, who understands us, and responds and delivers according to God's own good purposes. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. You know, it's very instructive that the psalmist here begins with patience. It's a statement of patience. He says he's waiting patiently for the Lord. And that tells me that he has no expectation of instant gratification. He's not expecting things to happen right now. You know, when we ask Siri something or Alexa something, what do we expect? We expect the answer right now, don't we? And every now and then, (laughs) when we don't have our brains screwed on right, when we ask God for something, what are we expecting? We expect the same thing, don't we? We expect our answers right now. But the psalmist here says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And the psalmist's patience had, had paid off in the past. He found himself in the depths of difficulty. It says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He had some great difficulties in the past, and God came through. God helped him out. Now, when we're talking about patience and, and waiting on certain things, it's not something we associate with a machine. When we look at a machine, we don't, want, we don't want patience. We want results. We want it right now. Patience, the only type of patience we have with a machine is when we're trying to boot up that obstinate technology and we're waiting for it to come on so we can use it. That's where we tend to lack Patience. But when humans ask God for patience, it's usually a prayer for patience to wait on something that God's going to be doing for us. We're saying basically, God, please give me patience so that I don't get irritated about how long it's going to take you to answer my prayers. Would that not be a good prayer? Because every now and then, let's face it, we get irritated because God takes too long to answer my prayer. If we're really honest with ourselves, we get irritated. But the psalmist says, I wait with patience. Now, if we ask God for patience, what's He going to do? He's probably going to give it to us, isn't He? Now, you also got to be careful of asking for patience, don't you? We talked about some dangerous things that you could pray for in, in class this morning. You know, it's, it's dangerous to pray, Father, forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people. That's a dangerous thing to pray, isn't it? It's also dangerous to pray for patience because James told me the trying, tells me the trying of my faith works patience. So if you're praying for patience, you better pull up your bootstraps and hang on because something's going to happen to try your faith to help work patience in your life. But if we ask for God for patience, He's going to do something to help us get patience. He's going to help us to deal with that. Waiting patiently on God, though, folks, is a sign of trust. It's a sign of trust that God will provide something good. God will do what is best for me in my life. In fact, if we wait for patience it often brings more joy into deliverance. As we're patiently waiting, and we're waiting, and we're praying, when God comes around and answers our prayers in a positive, constructive way, there's great joy. And sometimes the longer we wait, the greater the joy is when God does answer our prayers. When God responds in a powerful, even unexpected way, It can, according to verse 3 here, it can put a new song in our hearts. It can put great joy in our hearts and demonstrate to others that the Lord is trustworthy. Our patience in God is a demonstration of our faith to other people. And then our joy with answered prayers is another demonstration of faith. But notice here, it's not a song that we request. It's a song that God puts in our hearts. When we trust in God, our lives become attuned to this divine playlist. And we're transformed. Verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You know, it's almost like saying, God, play that song about how we were so happy when we put our trust in you. Trusting God leads to being truly blessed, unlike those who go astray after a lie. Our trust in Alexa, and I use Alexa as a metaphor for all things digital, and it can be amoral and, and, and pretty neutral per se. But when we use that, it can lead us to false assumptions that we're in control of our lives. We're in control of the world, and we can manipulate that world with simply a few clicks of a keyboard or with just a few commands to a voice recognition system, and we can control everything. The psalmist cautions us against such thinking. Instead, he says, we must acknowledge God's wondrous deeds and thoughts toward us. Remembering that we are nothing without God, you have multiplied, O oh Lord, my God, your wondrous deed and your thoughts toward us. none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them yet they are more than can be told. God offers us more than we actually need and anything and more than any online service or artificial intelligence could possibly offer us. God's blessings are too numerous to count. And if you don't believe it, take out pen and paper sometime and start listing your blessings all the way down to the most mundane thing you could think about. God, thank you for socks on my feet, for shoes that I could wear, Thank you for silverware that I can eat my food with. Folks, when you think about it, the blessings that we have, we could go on forever. They are indeed too numerous to be told. But you know what? The most important blessing that God offers us is God Himself. God's rescue plan for the world was not launched from some distant place in the heavens where God's going to stand back and just watch and observe. He didn't become some disembodied voice dispensing advice and suggestions and information to a people down below. He didn't become that. Instead, God became human in Jesus Christ and came to this earth and lived with us. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. How this works, don't know. The writer of Hebrews tries to give us a little bit of insight into how it works. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, he actually cites Psalm 40. And he cites it as a way of expressing the sacrificial nature of what God has done for us. Jesus' perfect act of obedience, His perfect sacrifice, His perfect submission, His perfect humility was God's means of accomplishing what animal sacrifices could not do in and of themselves, and that's the once and for all forgiveness of sins. Animal sacrifices couldn't take care of that. They could temporarily take care of it. They could take care of it one at a time, but they couldn't wash one person clean of absolutely everything forever. The blood of Jesus Christ can. The psalmist foreshadowing Christ sees himself as a recipient of this great movement of God. He says, behold, I have come in the scroll of the books. It is written of me. As a result, he delights to do God's will. It's a joy to him to do God's will. And he maintains God's law deep within his heart. To put it another way, when we put our trust in God, we don't simply just get information about God. We don't get a string of information and of words We don't get a string of advice about God. Instead, we receive God. We receive the real being of God in Christ and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's something Alexa can't offer. And it's even silly to think about it. But you know what? It's something God offers. God offers Himself. Not just information. Not just words. But Himself. It's not artificial intelligence. But it's God's own wisdom and God's own love that He offers to every one of us. When we are truly God's people... You know what? This isn't a message that we can keep to ourselves, is it? It's not a message that we can keep hidden. The psalmist couldn't help but tell the glad news of deliverance to the rest of the congregation. It says, behold, I have not restrained my lips. This was so valuable to him, so important that he couldn't be quiet about it. You couldn't shut him up. He had to share it. It was such a treasure, such a joy, such a blessing that it was bursting forth from him. He could not keep it concealed. He couldn't hide God's saving help in his heart. He had to speak of God's faithfulness. He had to speak of God's salvation. The psalmist certainly has in mind deliverance from a particular problem here. But when you look at what he's talking about here, these words can be extrapolated to address God's saving work, his saving grace for all of humanity. It's God who saves. And his word must be proclaimed. His grace must be shared. It is that special. It is that important. It has to be proclaimed to the world. In a world where everyone is asking questions and expecting quick answers from a machine, the psalmist asks us to place our trust in something different. To put our trust in the one one true God who does not conceal His steadfast love. He does not conceal... His faithfulness for the world. The psalmist goes on to pray for God to make that promise very real once again. Because he's facing a crisis. Unlike the first crisis, this crisis appears to be coming from within himself. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and i cannot see cries the psalmist they are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me you hear his cry here you hear his concern it's all about what has happened what he's done to himself this new trial this new problem is not from somebody else that's that's coming in from the outside it's from the inside So he cries out for another prayer of deliverance, but not just deliverance from sin, but also from deliverance from those who would exploit his current position. He says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help. Let those be put to shame and disappointment altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, "Aha, aha, caught you! You're not as perfect as you think you are, are you? You messed up, and you messed up bad. What are you going to do about it now?" In the midst of these cries, he goes to the Lord. And he expects that God will answer because, he says, for the Lord takes thought of me. So he prays, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. He trusts in the Lord. He knows that the Lord, if his heart is right, will not withhold mercy from him. And we can think the same thing, folks. If our heart is right, we can rest assured that the Lord will not withhold His mercy from us. And folks, that's a great thing. Because yes, God is a just God, but when it comes to sin, I don't want justice, I want mercy. I don't know about you. Who wants justice? Who wants mercy? Yeah, see? We don't want justice because if we got justice, you know what, where would all be? We'd all be together, wouldn't we? But it wouldn't be fun. The psalmist is building here on what's already, what he's already written. He noticed that God has answered his prayers in the past. He has acknowledged the nature of true sacrifice and true obedience. Now he's blurting out a brand new request, and it sounds urgent. God, be pleased to deliver me, he says in verse 13. Make haste to help me. And then in verse 17, he says, God, do not delay. And you know what's really great about all of this is that the psalmist asks... He asks. Remember what James wrote in James chapter 4 and verse 2? You do not have because you do not what? Because you don't ask. Why are we so afraid of asking God for help? We don't hesitate to ask other people for help in situations, do we? We ask for help all the time. If you've got a leaky faucet, you call a plumber, Right? If you got a dead electrical outlet, who do you call? We call an electrician for help. We got a leaky roof, we call a roofer. You got a toothache, you call a dentist. You got an upset stomach, we go see a doctor. You're dealing with some anxiety, you call a therapist. (coughs) You want some soothing music? We say, hey, Alexa, play me some Beethoven. Need directions? We say, "Hey Google, do you know the way to San Jose?" And she does, might. We ask everybody else for help. Why can't we ask God for help? Why are we so hesitant? Why are we so afraid of asking God for help? The psalmist here asks God for help, as he should. Because when you're in trouble, the first thing you need to do is what? Ask God. When you're having difficulties, the first thing you need to do is ask God. Don't ask Google. Don't ask Siri. Don't ask Alexa. Ask God. The psalmist asks, and we should too. So, are you having problems this morning? Are you having some difficulties? Is there something in your life that you need to have deliverance from? Is it coming from the outside, from those around you? Or is it coming in so- from the inside because of your iniquities and your sins? Whatever those problems are, whatever those issues that you're dealing with, whether they're health issues, whether they're family issues, whether they're iniquity issues or sin issues, The first thing you should say is, "Say, hey God, I need some help." So, if that's what your need is this morning, if you need help because of something that's going on in your life, don't ask Siri, don't ask Alaska, ask God, and do that this morning while we stand and sing. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood.